Now, of course, in the uh, Greek uh, church, the Volus kept the distinction very clear that we didn't keep clear at all in the Western church. The distinction between the image and the likeness of God. We kind of fuse the two, don't we? But the Greeks were always very much more analytical about this, and they always said, the, the image of God is always there, and that is perfect. The likeness of God is concerned with the way we live, our behaviour. And sometimes, of course, our behaviour at all is not God-like. Sometimes, in fact, we often hear the, the English word, that was a very ungodlike thing to say or ungodlike thing to do. The likeness of God is in the way we live. You know, that beautiful uh, video we saw there about love. The likeness of God is always in love. Now, what do we say to a God? who says that kind of a thing to us about ourselves. See, all these beautiful things. How do we respond? Then we come back to Pope Benedict. And uh, he tells us in that same great document, and by the way, that document of, of Pope Benedict, the Verbum Domini, the Word of God, one uh, great Protestant commentator said not so long ago, that, that is the best document, he said, that has been published for years and years and years on the Word of God. Or Benedict's argument. Benedict says, The word of God draws each of us into a conversation with the Lord. The God who speaks teaches us how to speak to him. Here we think naturally of the book of the Psalms where God gives us the words to speak to him, to place our lives before him and thus to make life itself the path to God. That's why we have the Psalms. The Psalms are God's word, but God's word that we speak back to God. And so we say wonderful things about ourselves, don't we, in the Psalms. My favourite Psalm is 139, where we talk about the very beginnings. We said to God, it was you who created my inmost being who knit me together in my mother's womb for all these mysteries I thank you for the wonder of myself I praise you now it's not a great word <laughs> and it is God who teaches us to say to God I thank you for the wonder of my being now how many of you first thing this morning jumped out of bed or crawled out of bed and got down on the benders and said, Lord, I thank you for the wonder of my being. Many of you said that first thing this morning. Some hands. One hand. Any other hand? <laughs> Two hands. Well, the next, the next conference, Chris asked that question. How many, how many of you have said, I thank you for the wonder of myself? Well, now, if you're not saying to God, I thank you for the wonder of myself, what are you saying to God about yourself? God teaches us how to respond. Jesus 
used a, a very familiar word about the word of God when he said if you make my word your home you will indeed be my disciples you will learn the truth and the truth will set you free now everybody knows one phrase of that passage what phrase does everybody know the truth will set you free everybody knows that phrase people who have no idea at all where it comes from you'll hear them say sure the truth will set you free I think the reason is because freedom is God's first gift to us and the desire for freedom is the deepest desire in the human heart as we know we've been remembering these days the hundred years since the horrible first world war broke out and we know men and women were willing to die for freedom that's the value that we place in freedom so freedom is the deepest desire in the human heart and anything that promises freedom is remembered God says the truth is such a free we remember that because we want to be free I can remember taking that very seriously to myself many years ago. I said, well, that's the secret of life. The truth will set you free. Now, all I've got to do is to speak the truth and do the truth, and then I'll be free. So I went at it with the vicar of an office, only to discover that, at least in my case, it didn't seem to work all that well. Because... When I spoke the truth to others as I saw it, I didn't want to set them free. And when people spoke the truth to me as they saw it, they didn't want to set me free either. In fact, very often the opposite was happening. And I was finding resentments coming and who do they think they are to talk to me like that? Now maybe you never had that kind of a feeling. Anyway, I was puzzled because this is God's word. The truth will set you free. So why wasn't it working for me? And then as so often happens with the Holy Word, I was reading the whole passage again. And just notice for the first time, Jesus didn't simply say, the truth will set you free. What did he say? He said, if you make my word your home. I had missed that. I was in too big of a hurry to get to the freedom. <laughs> he said, if you make my word your home, you will indeed be my disciple. Gosh, I'd missed that too. The very first condition of being a disciple of Christ is to make Christ's word home. But someplace has to be home. He said, if you make my word your home, you will indeed be my disciples. You will learn the truth. And now notice the truth that sets us free. Not as it were any old truth, but the truth that we learn as disciples, dwelling in God's word as in our home. Now what truth do we learn there? What truth do we learn in God's word? The truth about... Truth about... Ourselves. The truth about ourselves... And is that going to be a nice thing to learn? Please don't say no. <laughs> There's nothing more wonderful 
than the truth about yourself. Nothing more wonderful. And everything that's opposed to that truth about yourself is a lie. It's a lie. Jesus says we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God and those words of God that we've just looked at are most wonderful truths about ourselves but there is a father of lies too. And the father of lies wants us to live by the lies about ourselves. And sadly, many good people do. Many good people live thinking that God doesn't have much time for them. Or thinking that they're never going to make it in their life. That's a lie. Jesus also used the word living by God's word. Now that's an interesting word, isn't it? Because when we hear a word, we normally think about thinking. So Jesus is not saying, think about God's word. Or meditate on God's word. Or exegete God's word. But live by the word of God. And what kind of an experience is that? To live by a word. Now we have that experience all day long. Because all day long we are living by a word. Most often we never even reflect on it. Never give it a second thought. Well, let's just take an example. Did you ever have the experience one day you were just feeling great? Everything in your life was good. You were happy and well. Your family and loved ones were all happy and well. Life couldn't be better. And then somebody you loved, somebody you trusted, turned on you and said something very nasty. What can happen? Your whole mood can change. And from being elated, you can become deflated. And you may go back to your house (coughs) and spend the rest of the day (coughs) mulling over what was said. What did she mean by that? Or what was he trying to get at? Maybe making a solemn promise to yourself that if they ever say it again, you'll be ready for them. (laughs) Now, what are you doing then? You're living by the nasty word. Or rather, you're allowing the nasty word to drain you of energy. Notice the power of a word. A word can actually make you change the way you feel about yourself. Isn't that extraordinary? One moment over here, you're just feeling great. Next moment, somebody over there opens his gob, and you change over here. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain that the nasty word that that person over there has in his heart, that that somehow or other that flies out of his heart into your heart and changes the way you see yourself? 
I like to use the image of landing rights. <clears throat> you know that phrase, the landing rights, when George Bush and Tony Blair were organising that awful war years ago in, in Iraq. They needed landing rights from many countries to fly in their bombers, refuel, and then fly on to attack Iraq. Very dangerous to give landing rights to warplanes because it's, it's an act of complicity in the mission of the warplane. But we tend to give landing rights to our hearts, to whoever wants to speak to us. And we tend to allow every nasty word that somebody has in their heart to fly out of their mouth, fly through the air, land on our hearts, and ex explode and disintegrate our inner peace. Maybe for a day, or a week, or a month, or a year, or ten years. Now, isn't that very extraordinary? Now, why does the word have such power? And I think the reason is because it's through the word that each of us forms our self-image. You know, when the baby is born, the baby has no sense of who it is at all. The little baby receives all the sense of self from its parents, those who are caring for it, those who love it. Hopefully the words they speak are loving words, encouraging words. But sometimes there are always words like that. In fact, in the scripture we have that image of two houses where we can take up our residence and form our sense of self. The house, that bright house there, the house of God's creative word where Jesus invites us to take our dwelling. And then the house of what scripture calls the destructive world. Where we also can take up our residence and form our sense of self there. Now if we make home in that house of the destructive world and form our sense of self there, what kind of a sense of self do you think we'll have? we'll have a very poor self, sense of self. We'll have a poor self-image. And then it was very sad when you meet very good, devout people with a poor sense of self. Why is that? Because they're not living by God's word. They're living by another word. Another word that says, you're, you're not much use. You're no good. You'll never make it. You're, you're a hypocrite. The undermining negative word that ultimately comes from the father of lies. Well, of course, any of us can slip into that house of the destructive word any day. Sometimes you meet people and they're very sad. And they're very sad because 5 or 10 or 20 or maybe even 40 years ago somebody said something or somebody did something and they have lived in that destructive world for a lifetime and robbed their whole life of inner peace and joy. 
So if you wake up one morning and for whatever reason you discover that you've slipped into the house of the destructive ward, then there's only one thing for it, and that is a moonlight flit. <laughs> you have to get out of there. That's the image I like to use for inner healing. Now, inner healing is not a miracle. Inner healing is felt like a miracle. But inner healing is just doing what Jesus asks us to do, which is to live by God's word rather than by somebody's destructive word. The whole healing ministry really should be focused entirely on living by God's word. Because that's the gift God has given to us. To live by God's word, not by somebody's negative word. And sometimes you can get people coming along looking for inner healing, but they don't want to give up the negative word they're living by. They still want to remember what he said or what she said. And allow it to churn up their heart, to rob them of inner peace every day. So, change house. Whenever you're thinking that you need inner healing, just change house. Get a new address. <laughs> when I, um, I was mentioned there, uh, when I discovered that living by God's word didn't, didn't seem to be working all that well for me. Then, of course, when I saw this, when I saw that home, hmm, make my word your home, then the penny dropped for me. Then I saw in a flash why the word of God at that time wasn't setting me free. I was living at the wrong address. Each of us has the invitation from Christ to have God's word as our own personal address. Now the house you live in may be a fine body, fine home for your body. But where is home for mind and heart and spirit? That's where very often we may have to move house, move into the house of God's word. And the very first response to living by God's word is self-acceptance. That's the first response. Great theologian Romano Guardini put it in a nutshell when he said, the act of self-acceptance is the root of all things. I must agree to be the person who I am, agree to have the qualifications which I have, agree to live within the limitations set for me. The clarity and the courageousness of this acceptance is the foundation of all existence. It's the root. Now many people are looking for peace without that root. Many people are looking for peace and they have not as yet fully accepted themselves. They have not as yet said to God, I thank you for the wonder of my being. That's where self-acceptance begins. In that gratitude to God for the wonder of who we are. I'm going to flick on, we missed another slide there, but you can read it yourselves. Interesting one from the AA group. 
But I want to look now at St. John Paul says to us about this in his very first encyclical, great encyclical. He says, those who wish to understand themselves thoroughly must, with their unrest, uncertainty, and even their weakness and sinfulness with their life and death, draw near to Christ. They must, so to speak, enter into him with their own self. They must appropriate and assimilate the whole reality of the incarnation and redemption in order to find themselves. The whole theology here of inner healing. Then he goes on. If this profound process takes place within them, they then bear fruit, not only in adoration of God, but also in deep wonder at themselves. Deep wonder at yourself. It's the echo of Psalm 139, isn't it? I thank you for the wonder of myself. And then in the next sentence, he identifies, what is this deep wonder at yourself? He says, in reality, the name for that deep amazement at man's worth and dignity is what? The gospel. That is to say, what is it? The good news. The deep wonder at yourself is the good news. Ah. Anyway, we're finished with the slide, so we can leave it. The deep wonder at yourself is the good news. It's also called Christianity. It's also called Christianity. That, sadly, is often the gospel that people haven't as yet heard. So many people still have not heard that good news about the wonder of their being. That's why your Irenaeus Centre is so important in the life of your church here. Because that's it there, isn't it? The glory of God is a person fully alive. The good news is about you, fully alive. We conclude, glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.